Hey wordies, before today's episode starts, I just wanted to let you know to be on the lookout because tomorrow, Tuesday, the 22nd, there will be an exclusive cover reveal for Cat Cho's Wicked Fox on Entertainment Weekly. It's dropping around 11 a.m. Eastern time, so make sure you follow Cat at Cat Cho so you don't miss it. And trust me, you do not want to miss it. It's so beautiful. I've seen it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Write or Die. And this is Kat Cho. I have taken over the podcast. Clara Bell is out. Um, so we're secretly recording this without Lies, her. I'm here. <laughs> oh, no. She found out. Oh, God. This is so awkward. Okay. Um, Clara Bell, uh, this, uh, we're going to do this podcast together then, I guess. Yeah. All right. You're going to have to. Too bad. Okay. Well, actually, you better be here because we have a super duper special guest. I'm so excited and stoked to be talking to her today. It's Karen McManus. She is the New York Times bestselling author of One of Us is Lying. Um, You can also check out her upcoming book, Two Can Keep a Secret, out January 2019. Um, Karen, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on the show. So excited to have you on. I love your publishing story and I can't wait for everyone else to hear all about it. Yeah, I feel like I'm listening to somebody else's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like Karen McManus is, is on this podcast. It's so amazing. Oh, you guys. <laughs> all right. Uh, Karen, so do you want to just jump right in? I want to know about like why you got it started writing when you got started writing and when did you get the idea for one of us is lying yeah so you know I was one of those kids who started writing super early I was about eight years old when I wrote my first book and yeah and I told everybody I was going to be an author and I kept writing all through elementary school and middle school and high school But then I just kind of lost steam in high school. I couldn't finish a book. I didn't really have any support in real life to be an author. Like nobody thought that was a real job that I should be doing. And I I didn't know any other writers, you know, so I didn't have anyone to exchange work with. And so I just kind of let it go and did other things for a really long time and had a whole career and didn't think about writing at all um, until I guess it was around 2014 when I read The Hunger Games. And I just got completely inspired by that book and that world and the voice. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I wanted to sit down and write again for the first time in a really long time. And I ended up writing like, basically really bad Hunger Games fan fiction is what I wrote. <laughs> I thought it was great because I actually finished it. You know, it was the first thing I'd finished in ages. And so I thought, awesome, what should I do with this masterpiece? I should probably get it published so the world can enjoy it. Um, I had no idea how to do that, of course, right? Because, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, I ended up joining Twitter, which was quite a transformative thing for me because it was the first time I ever met other writers. Mm-hmm. And Clarabelle, I feel like you were one of the first people I followed on Twitter. So yes. I feel like I've known you like my entire Twitter <laughs> and writing journey, yeah. basically. Oh, that's <laughs> so cool. Yay. <laughs> And, you know, the wonderful thing about that um, and getting to know other writers and starting to exchange work with them, I mean, first of all, I, I finally understood how a person gets published. I didn't know. I didn't know you needed an agent. I didn't know any of that. So kind of climbing that steep learning curve, but also starting to exchange work and improving craft and 
even though I queried my first book, like I really gave it a shot. Um, it, it needed so much work. It was never a book that was going to be published. And I'd say like, you know, mid 2015, I accepted that. I put it on the shelf. I wrote another book. The great you know, thing about being a fast writer is you can kind of churn these things out. So I literally wrote another book in a month and I'm like, okay, I'm Whoa. ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? All right. But hold on. We have to rewind a little bit because I want to know a little bit more about this Hunger Games type book. <laughs> so, so the, right, the one sentence pitch was, what if Katniss grew up in the capital cities? <laughs> yeah. Oh, before she entered the Hunger Games? Yeah, if she was just like on the opposite side of this entire, you know, world that that she found herself in, on the very wow. privileged side of it, you know. So it wasn't obviously it wasn't actually Katniss, but it was a thinly veiled Katniss who um, has all these adventures when she realizes that her, you know, entire society is is structured on this horrible injustice. Um, <laughs> it was really bad. Um, it didn't actually have that much of a plot. Didn't have a plot. It had a lot of parties. I kept writing like cocktail parties because they were in the capital and that was fun to write. Um, a capital like place. And, <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Yeah, it was something else. I want to read it. <laughs> I want to read all the cocktail parties. <laughs> they were so fun. <laughs> it was just one after the other, honestly. And then every once in a while there would be like, you know, a little bit of plot thrown in there. Um, I had this love triangle. Yeah, but, but <laughs> the problem was the guy she was supposed to end up with, they had zero chemistry on the page. And meanwhile, the other guy who she was not supposed to end up with, they just clicked. So mm. I ended up flipping them and she wound up with him. And that made no sense because <laughs> that just isn't how it was supposed to go. So it was a mess from start to finish, but it was fun. And, um, you know, the thing that the feedback I got, which was very kind, really, was that you know, maybe this isn't the book, but these characters are great. You know, the writing is, is solid and there's lots of pieces here to work with, but maybe in a different book. Um, and everybody was right. You know, that was definitely a practice book. And my second book was too. That book was better um, in a lot of ways, but it was still, it still had plot holes. You could, you know, drive a truck through basically. What was and that? Also- what was that one about? So that was like contemporary fantasy. And it was sort of like a little bit Rick Reardon-esque probably. And I actually hadn't read Rick Reardon at that time. So I didn't know that. But it was about, um, you know, this high school where all these sort of descendants of different Greek mythological figures were going to school and, you know, pretending to be regular people. Okay, and, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I got like halfway through that and people were like, oh, that's kind of been done. And I was like, well, damn it. Now what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, like I said, I write fast. Um, and then I was driving to work one day in fall of 2015, and the theme song from the Breakfast Club movie came on. You know that song, Don't yes. You Forget About Me? Yeah. Yep. And I, I love that song. So me I always too. turn it up, and I hear it, and I was driving to work, and I was thinking about how well that movie's held up. You know, there are certainly, I think, aspects of it that would be done differently today. But the idea of bringing people together who seem really different on the surface and them being forced to interact and realize that they have more in common than they think has a lot of narrative potential, you know, no matter what decade you're in. And I started thinking about that and how it would be kind of fun to do maybe a dark update of The Breakfast Club. And the, the sentence, The Breakfast Club with Murder, 
popped into my head and just kind of stayed there. <laughs> I just want you to know that I've never heard about it pitched that way and I'm hyperventilating right now. I was, yeah, I was like, Clarabelle, I was going to check on you because this like screams you all over it. Like I'm tearing so up funny. right now because this is like, I am obsessed with The Breakfast Club and anything 80s and like murder also. So. <laughs> and murder also for you. I'm, I'm literally about to start crying. I'm so happy. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. Well, that was actually how I pitched it, you know. And everyone, anyone who would ask me what the book was about, I would say The Breakfast Club with Murder. And honestly, I think like the luckiest thing I ever did was come up with a book that could be pitched in a sentence that people instantly get. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that really makes a big difference at all phases of the process when you're trying to get in front of agents and then agents are trying to get in front of editors. And then, you know, your editor is trying to present it to their their sales force and your publicist is trying to pitch it. There's just, it helps a lot to have something that can be summed up kind of quickly like that. Yeah. And that's so catchy. I love that a lot so much. Um, okay. So you heard the song on the radio and you're writing this book. What's next? What happens next? Yeah. So I wrote it pretty quickly. It took me about two months to draft it. And then I I went fast (laughs) when it's working. Yeah. Um, We're going to talk about that fast writing later. (laughs) Um, And then I spent about two months revising it and, um, you know, did some subject matter expert interviews because I had things in there. You know, I had a lot of legal um, issues. I had law enforcement, um, medical, uh, school administration, even, you know, certain things I wasn't sure how would someone react here or there. So I did all of that, revised it, and then started querying. And I think it was like January of 2016. And it was interesting because with my other two books, you know, I spent all of 2015 basically querying them and really didn't get very far. Got some requests, but never got to the point where I was even close to getting offered representation. And with One of Us is Lying, I sent a query to my very top agent, which is Rosemary Stamola, who represents Suzanne Collins, who wrote The Hunger Games, Mm -hmm. because, you know, that was my inspiration. And she requested within an hour. And then she offered within about a week. And I didn't even really have time to query other people. I think I I sent a handful. And I just was like that that beaker, you know, meme is like, what's happening? I don't know what to do. And I just <laughs> didn't do anything for a week. And, um, and Rosemary offered and I just loved her vision for the book. I knew she got it. And we started working together. That's amazing. It's awesome. so cool. So for the first two books, did you get any f- sort of feedback from agents or was it like mostly form rejections? The first book was all form. No. It was all form. Yeah. I did get one person who explained to me that dystopian was dead um, and then <laughs> said, you have talent, but this is not the book. <laughs> so Aww. that was actually nice to hear. Yeah, um, that's because, helpful. Because you know how it is when you're a querying writer, right? You have no idea mm-hmm. what you're doing wrong sometimes or if you're doing anything right. Um, so getting even just a little bit of feedback was helpful. With the second book, I got a lot more requests and I got a lot more agents considering it. And pretty much all of them said this, I, 
I can't sell this. It's not going to fit anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and occasionally they, they would give me other, um, input, like, you know, it sort of fell apart a little bit in the middle, which it did. And, um, and that type of thing. So I felt like I was getting closer with that, you know, because people were actually taking the time to get back to me with specific critique. Um, and then, you know, with the third one, it just happened really fast. So, okay. So now you have an agent, which is like your dream agent pretty much because she repped Suzanne Collins and you guys revised the book. What, what did you do? Did you work together on it at all? Yeah, we didn't revise it a lot because Mm -hmm. Rosemary is one of those agents who feels like the right editor for a book is going to have a vision for it. And she doesn't want to, you know, spend a lot of time making changes that might ultimately just get unwound. Okay. So there was one plot, um, sort of a side plot point that really didn't fit very well with the rest of the book. And once she pointed that out, I realized it. Um, So I took that out. And the fact that I could take it out pretty quickly is you know, kind of testimony to the fact that I really didn't need it. So that was the biggest thing we did. We cut that out, we cleaned it up, and then she put it on submission. And we were on sub for, I think it was about two weeks. And Krista made a preempt offer, and we took it, and that was it. That's amazing. And that must feel so nice after two books of sort of like not really going anywhere. And then to get an agent and to sell the book so quickly must have felt great. It was a whirlwind, (laughs) definitely. You know, I I had certainly had my my time in the trenches and not as long as as some people because I got lucky in a lot of ways. You know, one of the things my agent told me was that she was she was actually driving to work and listening to the radio. Um, and she heard a news story about the effects of social media on teenagers and mm-hmm. it kind of stuck in her head. And when my query came across her desk, like very soon after that morning, she requested partly because she'd heard that and she was still thinking about it. So if that hadn't happened, like who knows, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's such a, um, there's so many different things that go into a book ultimately hitting shelves. And it's really hard to say, you know, what would happen if any of them didn't happen that exact way. Yeah. That's such a sort of everything happens for a reason moment. Yeah, (laughs) I really love that. Um, so your book has had amazing success, but one of the things that I think is the most interesting is that when it dropped, it didn't actually hit the list immediately. Right. Right. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? What was it like sort yeah. of like debuting and like when the book actually hit the list after a month? Like, what was that like? How did you feel? Did you know it was coming? Was it unexpected? It was completely unexpected. Um, you know, as much as I, you know, I had a great publisher and I had, you know, some nice foreign sales and I got a little bit of nice press um, before the book came out. It really wasn't one of the big books that people were paying attention to. And right. nobody, nobody expected it to hit myself included. Um, you know, it wasn't being carried in Target, all those little things that kind of add up to this is a book that, you know, is going to be big that really they weren't there. So it, you know, didn't hit and I didn't expect it to. And I was fine with that. But then my editor kept telling me, your numbers are so good. You should be there. And I sort of thought, well, now I feel bad (laughs) because I didn't think this was possible. But you're telling me it is. And yet it's not happening. So, oh, well, you know, and I think um, the, the third week I sort of thought, well, obviously the time has passed because 
the conventional wisdom and, you know, what you typically see is that those, the early week, the first week really is your best chance. Right. Um, and after that sales do tend to taper off. So, um, I thought, well, that's that little dream has passed. Um, and it was the fourth week and my editor was actually on vacation. So she didn't even tell me and I'm at home and my phone just starts, you know, kind of blowing up. And I was like, what is happening? And it was a tweet from my publisher that I saw. And I honestly, it was like the most surreal moment. I was in utter shock. I was so thrilled and excited. It was one of the happiest moments in my life, truly. Oh, I love that so much. That's such a cool story. And it's awesome because like the, the readers really made it happen for you. And it's testament to the fact that you wrote a really good book because the, the writing, you know, shined through in the end and you ended up hitting the list and staying on for how many weeks? Like a billion weeks? <laughs> yeah, like, I've I counted all the weeks. It's a billion. <laughs> um, yeah, we just round up like a little yeah. bit and it's I, a billion. I yeah. tallied them. But what- it was totally <laughs> driven. It really was. And, and reviewers and bloggers, you know, kind of really took to the book and talked it up and did lots of beautiful social media posts, you know, and Instagram, especially there was some really lovely pictures of the book. And what I love personally is that teenagers are really reading the book and talking about the book and excited about it. And I always hear from parents and teachers who say, you know, my child doesn't read or the student doesn't read, but they read this, you know, and they're excited Mm -hmm. about it and they talk about it. So educators got behind it as well as something that they could offer to their reluctant readers. And so I think that helped too, in that it became a book that schools saw some value in, you know, and that also had maybe some themes that were good for discussion um, that they could keep engaging the kids on. That's so amazing. I love that. I have my sister works in education and she's constantly reminding me, she's like, you could always go to schools. Like, don't forget about talking directly to the teens because we do write for teenagers. And I think sometimes when we're on Twitter and we're just like in our insular, like YA Twitter circles, right? we forget about the bigger world out there. And like that, what we're doing is we're writing these books for like teenagers to be able to like see themselves in fiction. Um, so that's kind of a great thing that it's like, what really helped you was like educators and stuff like that. And it's a testament to how important bloggers and reviewers are as well. Um, they can really make the difference in how well a book does or doesn't. So everybody be nice to them. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and like, you be know, nice because they're people. Right. <laughs> no, <also>. just because <laughs> they're bloggers. Yes, of course. Cause they're bloggers. Of course, because they're people. But, you know, I, I feel like they don't get enough credit for but the I work just, that they do. I don't do. think they do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean... I think one of the best things that uh, a new debut author can do is just say yes to everything, you know, mm-hmm. that comes your way um, and be grateful for it, too, you know, because um, people are typically doing this for free. You know, they're doing it in their own time and um, and they're helping you get the word out about your book. So did bloggers just sort of like contact you or did you do any outreach yourself or it was just sort of like an organic thing that happened? It was pretty organic. I didn't really do any outreach. Um, Some bloggers got in touch with me, but a lot of them just kind of did it without me. You know, Um, 
they, they would just write reviews and share the reviews and not even necessarily tag me in the reviews, which is totally fine. Yeah. Um, but it was, it kind of gained momentum just, you know, with them sharing and, and recommending that others read. That's amazing. So, okay. We know that it's the breakfast club with murder, but can you give us a little longer of a pitch for one of us is lying? And also can you tell everyone what two can keep a secret is about? Yeah, so One of Us is Lying is about, um, you know, the pitches that five teens walk into detention, but only four walk out. And the fifth student, Simon, was the creator of the school's notorious gossip app. And he was about to spill these very, you know, life-changing secrets on the other four. And so when investigators learned that Simon's death wasn't an accident— the four go from being treated as witnesses to this tragic event to actual suspects in what's now a murder investigation. So the story kind of goes down two parallel paths. There's the question of what really happened to Simon, but there's also what happens to these four students now that their secrets are out and they're being investigated for murder. Um, and that was the, the side that was most interesting to me. You know, I was sort of very interested in the characters. That was what I cared about. I was probably halfway through the book before I fully realized I was writing a mystery and I had to kind of go back and put clues in and, you know, do a few other crafty things that I had sort of ignored because I was so interested in these four people who were in the room. I love that so much. It's amazing. I have a question for you as someone who writes mostly like fantasy. So like anytime I come across like a plot hole, I'm like, well, magic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because you write like such well, like, like intricately weaved and like well laid out mysteries. um, Do you find that like you have to be like extra plotting or like extra does like um, planning it out in the beginning or do you like the whole like surprise yourself because then it's like truly is a mystery <laughs> like <laughs> like because you just said that you didn't realize you're writing a mystery until later so maybe that helped you like write it as a true mystery I don't know <laughs> no I didn't know how it was going to end but I will say I didn't know all of the little um you know sort of side pieces that fed into the mystery and so I did surprise myself with a couple of those um and then, I, but then, like I said, I had to go back and add a lot of stuff in, and that was a pretty clunky way to write. So when I was writing "To Can Keep a Secret," I did outline a lot more in a lot more detail, and I didn't follow that outline to the letter, but it helped me. Even simple things like you know, when I outline, it's pretty basic. I'm not one of those you know people who does these amazing color coded visual boards type of thing. <laughs> I just have a list, you know, and I think, okay, what needs to happen when, kind of. And then I will put in, you know, well, at this point, you should probably have some misdirections or some clues, or at this point, you need like the character arcs to be kind of weaving back in. And so I do that kind of outlining. It still changes a lot, but I found now that, you know, now I've written my third book and I'm working on my fourth and my, my outlines just keep getting more and more detailed because as I go through the editorial process, my editor is amazing at pointing out plot holes and I'm getting better at noticing them in advance you know, and yeah. trying to address them earlier in the stages, but I, I still miss them. Interesting. That's so important so, to have an editor to point that stuff out. 
Oh my goodness. You know, it's so funny. I think I remember when I used to follow these really established writers and they would sometimes tweet about how they were on their fifth book and their edit letter was still sort of overwhelming. And I would think, what, how can that be? Surely you must be awesome <laughs> at writing books now. Um, now I get it. I mean, that that's what editors are amazing at, you know, and that's why if you find one who you click with and who really understands your work, um, it's, it'll just improve you by leaps and bounds. And the book that ends up on the shelves is, is so much better than the book you drafted, you know, the year before. Yeah. I definitely take solace. What, cause I always read like the acknowledgements and when the, the, authors were like thank you so much to like my agent and my editor for making this book like good because it wasn't before I'm like phew (laughs) okay (laughs) I'll be all right (laughs) um so can you tell us what two can keep a secret is all about yes so in two can keep a secret history threatens to repeat itself in a town known for missing girls So it's about this girl named Ellery who moves back to the town where her aunt disappeared as a teenager. And she meets a boy, Malcolm, whose brother was suspected but not convicted of killing his homecoming queen girlfriend five years ago. So they're both tied to this town's very dark past, but neither of these have ever been resolved. And then almost as soon as Ellery arrives, these threats start appearing around town, promising that homecoming is about to turn deadly again, and another girl goes missing, and Ellery and Malcolm were the last people to see her alive. So ultimately, they're trying to figure out like what's happening in the town, what happened five years ago, what happened 20 years ago, are there common threads, or is this just an incredibly unlucky town? And, uh, you know, I'm very interested in the question of, um, or the power, I guess, of secrets, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and their ripple effect, the way they can shape families for generations, and then the question of whether they should ever stay hidden. Yay, that's that's super intriguing. And I love that the town has like this re- reputation. I I love stuff about that. Like when there's something creepy about the town, there's so there's always it gives me even when it's not like supernatural or weird, it always gives me like a Twin Peaks type of vibe, which I Shut really up. love. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love Twin Peaks, and that was definitely an inspiration. Was uh, you know this creepy little town where stuff keeps happening, and you've got this very kind of closed-in community mm-hmm. that's got this vested interest in you know maybe maintaining the status quo. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think it's so fascinating also when like sort of everyone in the town just sort of knows there's something off about it. And there's a like a new person comes in. They're like, what's going on? Everyone's like, yeah, it's just, you know, people sometimes disappear in the forest. Like, <laughs> But, you know, we, we've gotten used to it. So, yeah. That's so great. There's a uh, Halloween theme park in the book. And it that's where one of the crimes actually took place. And it used to be called Murderland until that became a little bit too on the nose. And and they changed the name of the park, but they still have it. And they have school events there. And, you know, Ellery, who moves in, is kind of like, what? Why are you, you know, sort of glorifying this murder site, essentially? But, you know, that's the kind of mentality that can sometimes spring up in these very insular communities. It seems very strange to outsiders, but not not surprising at all to people who've lived there their entire lives. Mm-hmm. I want I, you, I want you I to want. talk about um, your fast drafting because I need tips and <laughs> uh, 
I just yeah. Now that NaNoWriMo is over, let's talk about fast drafting. Yeah. Uh, well, is it something that you feel comes naturally to you, or are there any sort of things that you do that help you um, fast draft? Because I know not everybody like uses like a book or like any specific method it's just the way that they work and their brain works but I want you to tell me your secrets anyway um <laughs> just make stuff up Karen yeah. just tell okay. me <laughs> here's what you do no, I, I have to say it really is just how I write um mm. when it's working and you know the caveat there's a big fat asterisk there because you can keep a secret was really hard to write you know I think second books are hard generally and this one was hard because I was kind of drafting it right as one of us is lying was taking off and I was really having a hard time with it. And people kept saying, oh, I can't wait for your second book. And I was like, yeah, me too. That's going to be great. And um, I just couldn't find the core of that story. And so I kept like writing it and writing it and writing it. I wrote it, you know, three times before it finally clicked. And what that kind of taught me was that the fast drafting only works when the story's going where it needs to be going. And with hindsight, you know, kind of having been through the process of writing the wrong draft, I should have stopped and taken a step back and said, you're not ready to write this. You don't know the characters well enough. You know, mm-hmm. you haven't thought through all of the plot, you know, um, different ways that it could go and, and all the little things that have to tie it together. You, you started too soon. Um, so that was a really good lesson for my book three is that I did that, all that upfront planning, the worksheets, the outlines, and I didn't start it until I felt like I really knew who these people were and what they had at stake. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. And it, it also sort of like, uh, rem- why did I have such a New York accent right there? It also, <laughs> <laughs> just so you know, just so you know, um, it reminds me also, I was a reporter before I started writing books, and they, um, in journalism school, they tell you the more um, research you do, the more information you have up front, the easier it is to write the article. And I sort of continued on that path as an author. I'm like, the more I plan, the easier this book will be for me to write, um, yeah. which has been my experience so far. Um even though it's still hard to write books. <laughs> it's, you know, so many authors say, um, oh, just get the first draft out. You know, it's okay mm-hmm. if it's garbage. And I think that's excellent advice for a lot of people. It turns out it's not good advice for me. I am fully capable of writing a garbage draft that cannot be fixed. Yeah. And I did it twice you know, <laughs> with this book. So that was something I learned too, is that if it's not feeling right, like now I go back and it's pretty much like I write in four chapter bursts and then I go back and I'm like, are these, is this little, you know, group of chapters working? Is it moving the story along? Is it flowing? Do I like how the characters are emerging? And if I'm not happy with it, then I go back and I, you know, figure out what's not working and I adjust that before I keep going. So I can't really write a garbage first draft. I can write fast when things are flowing, but, um, but I have to feel that click to, to know that it's, it's going to be worth the time. Yeah. I, I think it's also a testament to the fact that there are no sort of like rules that are set in stone. It's, yep. it's different for everybody. So if anyone's telling you, is different. yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. So anyone's telling you, you have to do something a certain way, then they're wrong. 
Because that is my least favorite thing. And most people don't do it. You know, most people will give you the caveat of this worked for me. But every once in a while, you'll see the you must do this or you must do that. And that's just it's never true for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Unless it's that like you must follow guidelines for agents. For oh, query yeah. and stuff like right. that. No Follow those rules. Snowflake there, okay? Yeah. We all must follow the rules. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel for agents. You know, I used to, of course, when you're querying, um, you're surrounded by other writers who are anxious and worried. And, and then as you move along in the process, you get to know agents um, and really see uh, the kind of pressure that they're under and just the volume of uh, queries that are coming at them all the time and, and how hard they work. And, yeah. and try to, you know, be as responsive as they can be under those constraints. And the abuse also. So because not every writer is professional when they get a rejection. Um, and sometimes people are just really mean and rude um, or comment on. I know um, my agent has like talked about it. Like, don't comment on my looks when you query me. Like people have done that before. Like, that's yeah, so, that's so weird. Yeah, it's like so inappropriate. It's so wrong. Right. It's, it's just unprofessional. Like, who does that? Like, that's like if you were going to a job interview. It's like, by the way, I found your picture on LinkedIn and you're pretty good looking. See, <laughs> see, you, see you at the interview tomorrow. Like, who, who would do that? Yeah. No, when I was reading slush, the slush pile for an agent, um, people would reply to like, the form rejections and I would read it because I'm like, oh, I sent that form rejection. Like, I hope they're okay. And a lot of times that people would be really rude because if they're replying to a form rejection to begin with, then it's because they got some things to say, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. They, right. And it, would be, it wasn't even my slush pile. And I would be like, they're so mad at me. And the agent <laughs> I was working for would be like, they don't know it's you. It's fine. <laughs> but you take it to heart. You really do. Yeah, I think it's just important to, I I feel like I say this every episode, but I think it's important to remember that this is a business Yeah, (laughs) and you have to, you have to be professional. I think it's because we have a lot of fun and, um, it's something that's on the creative side and we're on Twitter and chatting, but like, you still have to treat people with respect, um, cause word travels fast if you're an asshole and, um, you don't want to deal with a bad reputation for, you know, losing your cool or whatever. Right. It's True. such a small community. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I think is great, Clarabelle, is that, like I said, you're one of the first people I met um, on Twitter mm-hmm. back in 2015. Yeah. And here, here you are with a book coming out next year. My very first critique partner who I met um, also on Twitter has a book coming out next year. It's been amazing to see that I know people get there yeah Yeah. it's just a matter of time and I think that like all the sort of suffering that happens in the beginning is almost like you almost like forget (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe we're just like um what's it called repressing (laughs) 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 um but you do forget like how how nerve-wracking it all is sometimes I think when I was querying it was so scary and 
you know, I I don't ever want to forget that. Um, but like sometimes it's you get so much distance that you, that you do in a way. You no, know, every time um you know Pitch Wars comes around because mm. I tried to get into Pitch Wars in 2015 and I didn't even get a request. And then in 2016 I was a mentor, um, and then I I didn't have time to do it after that. But it just I always think about that and and the difference you know that a year made between. Mm-hmm being feeling like I was sort of outside and I was never going to get in, you know, and then a couple of years later, I see people getting, you know, so worried about pitch wars. And I think, Hey, you know what? Not getting a request was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because what would have been the revision period is when I wrote one of us is lying. And Amazing. if someone had taken on my book, that was not good enough. I might've spun wheels trying to make it better and never, even gotten that idea who knows that's so funny I actually tried to get into pitch wars 2015 also didn't get in and then I was a mentor the next year also so we're twins hey, there we go. <laughs> Wait, were we 2016 or 2017 Twi- no 20 yeah you're right 2017 so okay. we're sort of twins we're sort like of twins. Parallel I, twins yeah I, I'm like the most outlier because I tried to get in 2014 and then I was mentor 2017 but samesies. Yeah, we, none of us got into Pitch Wars, but it didn't matter because we're all still killing it. And Karen's selling a bajillion books. Yes. And it's awesome. Um, all right. So everyone who's on the podcast tells us either one embarrassing story about their publishing journey or something they wish they'd known from the beginning or both. It's up to you. Oh, goodness. Well, you know, I have no embarrassing stories because I never (laughs) do anything embarrassing. Um, I will tell you, you know, my my very first like full request I ever got for my my bad dystopian, it was one of only two I ever got. And it was uh, off a pit mad um, pitch, you know, so I'm like all excited and I'm telling everybody I know I got this full request and I send it off and then I'm telling more people and I'm sending texts and the agent <laughs> rejected it in like half an hour. No! <laughs> like, <laughs> I still had texts like being sent. They hadn't even gone through and I'm like, oh, you know what? No, never mind. <laughs> no. Oh, that's <laughs> it was so really hard. fast rejection. <laughs> that is so hard. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, oh, so okay. it was a very short-lived moment of triumph. I was like, you, you could have sat on that for like two weeks, and I would have been totally fine with that. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm glad you got to celebrate at least a little bit, though. Right? <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> you got 20 minutes of glory, all right? Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to do something a little different, just because I have a favorite Karen story that I want to tell everyone. <laughs> because I think it's so cute. Honestly, I think that one of the things is like we see these authors, especially someone who writes something as like amazing and like with such talent as Karen does. And you think like they're untouchable, which but like I love it when people are really nice and Mm -hmm. Karen's super nice. Mm -hmm. And what (laughs) my favorite thing about this is that when Clarabelle and I went to BTAF (laughs) this year, I don't know if you remember this, Karen, because it was like after a full day of events. It's Boston Teen Author Fest in case anybody doesn't know what BTAF is. Sorry, yes, Boston Teen Author Fest. So we were staying at an Airbnb, and you guys, it was haunted. Haunted. (laughs) Super haunted. And we were, like, half-joking, half-seriously posting about it on social media all night before Boston Teen Author Fest. And so, like, one of my first interactions with Karen, she was like, are you guys okay? (laughs) Did you need to stay at my house tonight? Yes, yes. Because your place is definitely haunted. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I was like, you are the nicest person. <laughs> really? And I remember you said it multiple times, too. You were like, are you sure you can stay with me? <laughs> like, I'm right down the street. You guys. I actually ended up, Heidi Heilig ended up staying with me. <laughs> Because she had an issue with her Airbnb. It was not haunted, but, uh, you know, it was a different kind of issue. I'm like, I've got the room. So that's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. I remember like after that, I was like, Karen's a good person. (laughs) She's just going to let us stay with her. (laughs) We could be murderers. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's just fodder for a book if you are. (laughs) Oh my God. That would be the biggest plot twist. (laughs) Is it this whole time you and I are murderers? Or if one of us is a murderer and the other person doesn't know about it. Oh. Taking notes. (laughs) That would be really bad. Next book. (laughs) (laughs) I swear, Karen, if if your next announced book is about these, like, best friends who, like, have a podcast together and one of them is a secret murderer, then... (laughs) Yeah. I want to be on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> like all come right. back on the show to discuss that one. <laughs> um, all right, Karen. So do you want to tell the listeners where they can follow you on social media? Yes. Um, I'm at writer KMC on both Twitter and Instagram. Perfect. And everyone, if you haven't read, one of us is lying. There's like three people who haven't read it. Go <laughs> read it. And also, please pre-order Two Can Keep a Secret. It comes out January 8th, right? 2019? Yep, that's right. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show. Like, it's been really nice talking to you and seeing your journey, like, from the beginning is really, really cool. And I can't wait to, you know, see you keep dominating and selling all the books about secrets and kids and murder. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun.